Well, good morning, and um, good morning online as well. I appreciate you joining this morning, and I always am thankful for uh, an opportunity to share uh, with you. So thank you, Dan, for the uh, great introduction. Um, so uh, this morning, I wanted to start out with uh, a little story. Um, this past summer, uh, I started a new hobby, and um, that was sailing. So I don't know if the pictures are up there yet, but um, I spent a week this summer taking the first two classes of sailing lessons. So this was right out of Santa Cruz uh, in the open ocean. And uh, my desire to sail was partially inspired by what we call YouTube. Um, so I don't know how many of you guys have have browsed on YouTube and all of a sudden started a new hobby, but this is uh, partially inspired by YouTube. And then some people might say it's a midlife crisis. I don't know. Um, but. I really had a great time uh, spending this week out on the water. And um, a couple things uh, in the lessons. First is, um, you know, one of the first things they teach you in sailing lessons on the boat is uh, a man overboard drill. So, you know, the second day we were out there, uh, they, we do this maneuver called a figure eight. And so that if anyone falls off the boat, we all know what to do, right? You point to the person, you slow the boat down, and you come and get that, uh, help save that person. And, uh, it was a very quick lesson uh, for me because, not that I fell in, but because uh, what was amazing to me during sailing lessons was just how vast the ocean was. And, and that's part of the joy that I have when I sail is you get to see land and God's creation from a very different perspective, right? You get to see it from an, an open ocean. And, and, and for me, that was uh, just an incredible time. And um, Part of the sailing uh, learning or sailing journey for us, for our family, we have some good friends, uh, Dorothy and Robert Burney, and their three kids. And um, uh, very recently, a couple years ago, some of you might have met them. They've been here. They've uh, come to our discipleship training uh, conferences at times. Uh, so you might know them, but they, um, uh, Robert uh, came uh, from the high-tech world. He worked really hard and saved up. And, and Dorothy, I believe, was a teacher um, by trade. And so um, they uh, quickly shared kind of this adventure they were um, going to embark on. And they sold everything. They uh, never had a, a house. And, and they bought a 50-foot sailboat down in Southern California. And so um, they're off out in the Gulf of Mexico, no, Sea of Cortez. Um, uh, enjoying themselves, and some of our church members have visited them. But um, I remember the story um, uh, that they shared as part of their journey because I was interested. I took my classes. Um, they took a, a five, four or five day training session, um, overnight sales uh, in the Caribbean. And as part of their sale, I believe it was you know a couple days into their journey. Um, you know, they're sailing, and they're about 15, 10 to 15 miles offshore uh, out in the Caribbean, and they see these two fishermen in the water. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, like, it, I can't even imagine what, what that's like. But in that part of the world, I think, you know, when you have, fi have fishermen, a lot of times you see those boats, they're just made out of wood. They might have a car engine or a small motor at the end of it. So it wasn't uncommon to have... Uh, unfortunate incident in terms of uh, sinking your boat and being out in the water. Um, but for, um, you know, when they were telling the story, how, how they came up to these two fishermen to ask if they needed help, and they definitely did, and they, they saved their lives just on this um, training session, you know, I can't help but think um, of that event, just because, you know, I imagine myself, if, if I were ever in that situation, um, just 
just how dire that would be. And so um, some of us, you know, as you stop and think and pause about those two in the water and being saved, you know, if, if you're uh, not a believer, not a believer of spiritual things, you might think, oh my gosh, that is such an incredible coincidence that they saved them, right? Or you might think, wow, that's really bad luck that you got into that situation, right? It's, it's um, unfortunate that, that, you, you, that uh, you ended up in the water, your boat sank. But even as Christians, sometimes, you know, I think about that and I think, you know, sometimes I'm even st skeptical. It's like, can God really do that? Can, can God really save those two? And, and um, as we go through the book of Daniel this morning, I want to present at least a thought or a, a, a reflection that our God is a supernatural God, that when we read the Bible, when we hear those stories, even today, when we run into God saving uh, these two fishermen, that that was God. It wasn't their time to go. It was their time to be saved in that moment. And so um, so this morning, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. So um, if, uh, if you may, can we uh, pray? Can I pray for us this morning before we get started? God, thank you so much for how you work in our lives, that sometimes even we can't imagine how big uh, you might be in our lives. And so... I pray that as we read through the book of Daniel, you would touch us, you would show us uh, a bigger perspective of who you are, and that would encourage us and shape us and guide us uh, as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. So as um, Dan mentioned, uh, I've uh, preached, this is my third time in-person preaching, and I've been going through uh, slowly the book of Daniel. I don't expect you guys to remember what I've uh, preached on before. Um, but for me, Daniel is uh, near and dear to my heart as I've prepared for these sermons because in, in a lot of ways, I find a lot of similarities with Daniel's journey. And uh, now it's uh, you know, to over 2,000 years ago, but Daniel was a government official for a king that was very oppressive. And for 21 years of my uh, public finance journey in local government, you know, I've had my own battles, I've had my own reflections. And so this morning, I wanna share uh, as we talk through the book, some of those reflections, and I hope they're an encouragement for you uh, as well. Uh, so Daniel chapter 1. Uh, what happens in Daniel chapter 1? This, uh, when I first read this, I rem was reminded of my high school world history class. And so Babylon was a growing uh, empire at the time. Uh, Judah was conquered. Um, and so Daniel was uh, one of the, the uh, royalties or leaders in Judah. And uh, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar's reign grows and grows. It spreads to Egypt. He takes over temples. And so in some ways at, in that time represents, um, you know, the king showing that his power or his God is bigger than, than gods of other kingdoms. Uh, Daniel and his uh, three friends uh, are taken in and uh, part of the royal courts. And um, the king at the time took in all the smartest, the brightest, the most handsome people and tried to teach them a new culture, um, taught them a new language. And so uh, Daniel um, befriends one of the overseers of uh, this training program, this three-year training program. And along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they're offered the best foods from the temple. It's the food sacrificed from, to idols, and it's a lot of the meat. And, and Daniel, in his faith, you know, knows that, that that meat's unclean. And he challenges the guard. He says, hey, let me eat vegetables for a few weeks. And if, if I don't look healthy, then, you know, we, we can, um, you know, potentially eat the meat. But uh, what's 
uh, astounding in that moment is, you know, Daniel could get killed at any time, right? This is, you know, any disobedience, um, you know, uh, it wasn't unheard of to, to be put to death. And so in this case, Daniel's faith uh, allowed him to befriend this guard. This guard listened to him. And, um, you know, at the end of that moment in time, you know, he was deemed healthy and he was, um, he was fine. And at the end of that chapter, it says that uh, Daniel ends up outlasting the king's reign, so uh, foretelling a little bit. So then we go to Daniel chapter 2, and uh, the king's reign continues to grow, and he has this dream, and uh, he feels threatened. He feels any, um, any kind of uh, threat to his kingdom, he's willing to put people to death. And so uh, within his royal court, uh, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has brought in all those of spiritual backgrounds, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and tell them, uh, interpret this dream for me. Um, I don't know what it is, and it, but it's really disturbing. Interpret it or face death. And so a lot of the spiritual um, people at the time, they knew they didn't know what the dream was. They were pleading with him and saying, hey, um, you know, just tell us a little bit. We'll help you out. And, and, and the king has nothing of that. And so um, Arioch, one of the uh, overseers at the time, um, you know, and, and Daniel hears of this kind of plea, and so um, Daniel, in his faith, comes to Arioch and pleads with him and says, give me a day, give me a night, let me uh, talk to God and um, see if he'll speak to me. And, and he does, and God gives him a vision that night. Uh, Daniel interprets the dream, and um, uh, he says it to the king. And, and he says it in a very interesting way. He tells the king his dream, but he uh, gives uh, glory to God. And so... What does Daniel share to, to the king? He, he shares that your dream's about a statue. It's about a statue made of many different types of precious metals, gold at the top, silver, uh, bronze, and then at the bottom there's an earthen material that crumbles. And this signifies that these kingdoms, these rules are temporary, but God's kingdom uh, lasts forever. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar re responds with awe and says, oh my gosh, you've interpreted my dream. Uh, that's amazing. And then um, all those uh, that were threatened with death are saved. And as a re reward, the three friends are given parts of the kingdom to govern um, at the time. And so the king has, at this moment, has seen um, God speak through Daniel's interpretation. So that leads us to uh, chapter three. And so uh, what I wanted to do this morning is walk through chapter three um, uh, in a narrative format. And so there's four different sections I kind of want us to walk through. And then at the end, uh, I want to tie those, uh, the themes in chapter three back to chapter one and chapter two. I think it's really important to see uh, some of the um, re repetition that, that the Bible has here. And then I wanted to just share um, some reflections of, of what that meant, uh, means for me. Um, so if we go to chapter 3, the first uh, few verses uh, uh, start out with the building of this golden statue. And I had fun with the clip art online, just uh, trying to find a picture of this. And so um, at the time, uh, having a statue representing the kingdom was not uncommon. In fact, you see a lot of remnants of Roman statues, Greek statues. And so uh, for the king at that time, having a big statue, 90 feet uh, in height, um, was a significant uh, sign of power. Um, and so that to have a golden statue um, with the, one of the most precious metals was even more uh, uh, 
uh, incredible site for this statue. And so um, the king orders the statue built. It's made of gold. Um, it's outside of uh, Babylon because of its, its size. And um, it's next to probably what they have a furnace, which at that time was uh, next to a hill or a mountain where you can throw stuff into it. And so it wasn't uncommon to have a furnace at the time because a lot of the metal work um, was, was done in a very large furnace. Um, and so the king um, goes and um, they built a statue and um, he has all the uh, governing officials from all the different lands that he's conquered to come over and see this. And what I, I call this is, is kind of like the big reveal, right? You think of those shows where, where there's this huge reveal. And um, he invites all those uh, provincial officials um, to the statue. In fact, uh, the king in the Bible, it's repeated twice in verse 2 and verse 3 um, that that's uh, what's being done here. And I picture this as something even more grand than the presidential inauguration. You know, you think of Washington, D.C. when we're going through the changing of the guards, hundreds of thousands of people, the best music, the best poetry, world dignitaries, but this is even more so. This is a 90-foot golden statue um, with all the dignitaries there. And um, let's go to verse 4, uh, see what uh, it says here. So what, what does the king kind of uh, command? And so then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thr thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so a couple of things here. Um, you have the statue, you have all the dignitaries, and when you, you go through all the types of instruments, these, these were the best instruments, the best sounding instruments of all the different lands coming together. And the command here is, hey, when you hear that music, bow down to the statue. And so a lot of the people at the time uh, did that. And um, uh, we, um, we infer later on that Daniel and his friends um, don't do that, in fact, um, uh, we hear very strongly of Daniel's faith. So let's uh, keep going here, the second kind of section in, in Daniel, um, the king threatened. So at the time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So let's um, pause right there. And so um, what's going on here? You see the astrologers, which are also part of the spiritual group of people that um, Daniel and his friends would have been part of. And um, they out him. In fact, you know, as this worship's happening, it's possible that 
Daniel and his fr three friends, they don't bow down, and it's possible that even other people won't see it. I mean, I don't think Daniel and, Shet and his friends were trying to make a big scene here, but, but at this time, the astrologers see this and, and, and out him and say, hey, king, hey, king, um, they uh, don't pay attention to you. They don't um, worship uh, your, the, the statue. And so uh, interesting tensions happening here, right? You have um, this command by the king, and you have Daniel and his three friends, which um, have been assigned parts of the kingdom. So in some ways, uh, the king has already granted them some favor throughout um, from, from the interpretation of the dream. So let's keep going. Let's see how does the king react. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said, that, said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear of the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, then you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? So it's, it's an interesting response, right? Because he's given them governance over part of the kingdom. Um, but King Nebuchadnezzar, in a very predictable response, uh, is angry. He's filled with rage. He's uh, in his power, uh, uh, insecure, power-hungry way. He, he threatens um, his friend, Daniel and his friends. And so what's interesting here is he gives them another opportunity, right? He, he hears this these words from the astrologers and um, brings them in and, and in some ways, you know, gives them another opportunity. Hey, is it true that you don't serve? In fact, let's, let's play the music again. Let's, let's have the music go again. And um, if you don't worship it, you know, being true to his word, he's, he says he's going to throw them into the furnace and questions, how's God going to save you now? Because he's seen kind of the God's hand in chapter two. And so again, he's, he's challenging his friends. And another interesting point here is, is because the astrologers have come to the king here, um, there is a, a saving of face that the king has to go through, right? He has to be in his mind consistent with what he's, he's stated here. And so, um, so what happens? Let's, uh, let's keep going and let's uh, see how, how uh, they respond. So verse uh, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So, uh, the response is also very consistent with chapter 2 and chapter 1. The three friends here um, proclaim God, um, the God of Daniel and their God, um, can deliver them. And in fact, um, they say, well, you know what, we're ready to die if he doesn't, right? So in some ways, their faith there is so strong about what God has said and what God has commanded, there is no way they're going to bow down to that statue, and they're ready to die for, for that. And so... Um, as you can see in the picture here, again, uh, interesting clip art from the web. Um, 
what happens later in that section of Daniel? There's, uh, they're thrown into the furnace. Uh, the, the king orders the furnace to be made seven times hotter than what it is. In fact, it's so hot, uh, the two guards that tie them up and throw them in end up dying right there. And so in the furnace, um, there's uh, what uh, the Bible says, or the king says, there's the son of God, and it's a foretelling of, of Jesus who is to come. And so let's, uh, let's keep going uh, with uh, what's going on here. So verse 24, what happens? Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. So remember, these are all the officials of the kingdom that have come and, and, and to see this. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rebels, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what's going on here? Everyone's there, all the officials, all the important people in Babylon, and everyone's witnessing God's power. Um, the, uh, the three friends were not burned. Um, there's a fourth there, an angel. Um, and then the king immediately calls everybody in, calls them out, and then praises the God of Daniel and his friends. Um, he declares that anyone who says anything against them and in the king's nature will be put to death and their houses destroyed, right? So the king is still consistent in who he is here, in his ruthlessness, in his oppressiveness, in his willingness to die, but at that time when, when uh, other gods was, were an accepted kind of uh, concept or religion, and the king seeing God's power has this decree that, that, that their God is amazing, in fact, promotes them again, rewards them again um, into the province of Babylon. Another interesting thing here is, um, you know, Daniel's not in chapter 3. It's his three friends. And I want to um, point that out because um, as we look at um, uh, the first two chapters, I think it's important to highlight some of the themes uh, of, between the three chapters. And uh, as Dan and Daniel always share, you know, in, in the topic of biblical interpretation, when things are repeated over and over again, it must be important, right? The author must be telling us uh, it's important. And so what are some of the connecting themes between the three chapters? Uh, the first one, as I've mentioned repeatedly, King Nebuchadnezzar's response to his threats, right? He is consistent in his character in those first three chapters. He threatens death, uh, any threat to his power, his kingdom, 
off with their heads. Um, he's taken over kingdoms and tried to convert them and bring them into his kingdom. So power is definitely uh, a key um, aspect of, of his um, desire and his, his motivations. Um, and he's very reactive, right? He hears the story of the dream or, or he um, uh, sees the statue and hears the story of the friends not bowing down. You know, he's very quick to react to his death. But then, you know, there's this moment where he does pause and he does um, uh, allow for um, Daniel and his friends to, to, to appear. And so that second point here, God reveals himself numerous times. You see that through this uh, befriending of the guard, uh, eating of the food in chapter one. Uh, you see that with Daniel asking for a day and God speaking through that night in a vision, um, uh, the, the interpretation of the dream. And you see it again here in the fiery furnace. You see that God uh, was with them uh, in that uh, difficult, almost impossible moment. Uh, the third theme here, uh, you see the faith of Daniel, that it is steady and it is contagious. You see that uh, Daniel in chapter 1, uh, not willing to eat unclean meat, and his three friends in, in uh, chapter 2, you know, come to him and say, hey, they're going to kill us if, we don't inter if the dream's not interpreted, and Daniel pleads again to God. Um, and then you see that again in chapter 3 with his friends. Daniel's not in this chapter um, that they have that same faith as Daniel. They have that same belief uh, in God. Um, and so that uh, one of the themes is that that faith that Daniel had was contagious to those around us um, as well, or around him. Uh, and then you see in chapter 4, Daniel and his friends are granted favor. Um, there is something about Daniel and his friends um, that were uh, attractive to the guards, right? They listened to him, even to the king. They the king gave him a, a knight. The king uh, allowed for them to bow down again. And you, so you see this repeated favor that Daniel and his friends um, are granted uh, through these three chapters. So I wanted to pause there and, and reflect a little bit. Have you ever come across uh, someone who responds like King Nebuchadnezzar? Um, you know, I, I think of... Um, uh, uh, my job position, and, and early on when I was assigned to be a manager over two people, I, didn't, I wasn't trained. I, I wasn't given any uh, thought or, or knowledge of how to uh, manage people. All I was given was, okay, here are the tasks, here are the deadlines, and the tools I had were their pay, their performance, and um, giving them feedback. And so uh, in some ways, I think in, in our working world, you might run into someone that's like King Nebuchadnezzar uh, in a lot of ways. So that might be someone at work. Um, it might be someone that's oppressive in, in our family relationships. Um, but uh, interesting how the king responds. Um, we run across similar situations. We can run across similar situations um, uh, in today. Have you ever witnessed a supernatural event? So in this case, something to think about is that fiery furnace, right? Um, as Christians, as someone of faith, it's easy to be skeptical even when we hear the Sunday school story of the fiery furnace, or we read the Bible and we read that. But what would it mean if our God that we worship, if we believe that he was a supernatural God, what role uh, would he play in our faith today? And so um, with this next point, I wanted to talk about at least a, a few things in my life um, 
uh, where uh, through my faith journey, uh, God was with me. And uh, the first application or thought as I read through these first three chapters is that through faith, through our faith in God, uh, we can have a a contagious confidence. So you see that through the three friends with Daniel. And uh, as I mentioned, um, 21 years ago, I started working for the city of San Jose, working in government. Uh, And if you knew me back then, I know Greg Robertson and a lot of the youth uh, knew me. I was quiet. I was. Uh, I, I didn't mind working uh, uh, on spreadsheets myself at work. This is the first few years. Uh, I didn't want to speak. I didn't know what to say. And in fact, in, in staff meetings, there'd be 10, 20 people there, and I and people were talking. I'm like, how do they know what to even say? Right? Like I was an an introvert. Um, but at the same time, in my faith journey, I also wrestled with, wow, I'm spending eight to 10 hours a day at work. How do I be a Christian at work, right? It was very easy in my head and my young faith to be like, well, I'm a Christian outside, but at work, you know, I'm doing the task, I'm hitting the deadlines, I'm slowly managing people. But God, how is it that you um, work as a Christian? And and so over time, over 21 years, fast forwarding, uh, through working at the city of Sunnyvale, the city of Santa Clara, what I've noticed is um, I've begun to change, you know, it's... um, uh, now at work, you know, people will tell me, Ken, you, you need to, like, stop talking or you need to stop, um, uh, you know, getting um, philosophical in terms of the work, right, because I want to inspire people. And what's interesting is, like, I didn't fashion it this way, but every time I left each job, people ended up following me and it ended up um, coming with me. And so today I, I manage a group of about 70 people. And through this, um, you know, I... I attribute it to God when I see that people want to follow me, that there is this confidence that in the way God is with me, people see something different. I I have to give credit to God. Um, And so with our Christian faith, um, we can have a contagious confidence that people will see. You know, it's not always about um, being explicit in uh, the evangelism, but people see God through us. Uh, The second application here, Uh, Believing in a supernatural God gives us hope in difficult circumstances. So, uh, again, when I became a Christian, um, my parents, I grew up in a family where my parents worked a lot. My mom uh, worked the swing shift, so 3 to 11. My dad worked out of state for half uh, my childhood. And so um, uh, I was introduced to to church in about eighth grade, and then uh, through Greg... um, Uh, slowly got involved with our church. And so uh, in high school, many of you are in high school and you're going to go to college. Um, The college process was an interesting one for me. You know, growing up with with my parents not around, I I had this vision of starting over. And so I I applied for and got accepted and went to New York for college. In fact, I was in my mind, I was like, oh, let me just start life afresh. That sounds exciting, right? I want to, you know, this this childhood was difficult in some ways. I want to start over. And so in New York, uh, I was there for two weeks. It was difficult. I was homesick. I had a difficult roommate. And I made the decision in that moment, I talked to my parents every day, uh, to drop out of college. And so you could imagine growing up in an Asian family telling my Asian parents, Dad, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm just going to do something different. You know, they, my dad, I remember, had his boss get on the phone with me, too. Um, and so uh, I came home, I went to De Anza for a quarter, and I had sent appeal letters out to 
um, some of the colleges that had accepted me before. And um, it was a tough time. It was a time where I felt like, um, you know, through my faith and through prayer with God, get me through this. It was very difficult. I, I felt like I failed my parents. I felt like as a Asian uh, uh, person coming through and dropping out college, what did I do? It was a difficult time, and I prayed and I prayed. And so one night, uh, this was probably in October or November, my neighbor knocks on the door with mail. Says, hey, this package, this came, it was delivered wrong, this is for you. And it was registration material for Berkeley. You know, so in that moment, I felt God's presence. God had spoken to me. He said, um, through your trials, I'm here. And, and since that time, um, it's been, uh, you know, I've never forgotten. Like, God has given me that supernatural reminder that he's come through. So the third bullet, and this one is exciting. Um, our story isn't done. You know, believing in a supernatural God allows for something bigger. And when you think about the Bernie story, you think about their journey to sail. You think about running into uh, these fishermen. And in some ways, uh, we don't know what the story for the fishermen are. You know, they could have gone home and they could have carried on with their life, but it's possible that through that experience, God used that to share to that fisherman and the family and the village. Um, we also don't know um, how the Bernie's journey finishes. They are still sailing in Mexico, but through, I'm sure, the, a lot of the ups and downs as they figure out how to sail, they have this incredible story of how God was with these two fishermen, that God supernaturally saved them. And so what would it mean if we um, had that perspective of God, if we had that image that God in our everyday work, in our everyday life, uh, is supernatural. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know uh, when uh, that might be. And so you see that Daniel's friends were ready to die for their faith. And, um, but God was clearly not done with them, right? God still had more of a plan. And, and even beyond chapter 3, I'm eager to figure out what happens. Um, and so as we uh, take a moment and pause um, from chapter 3, I, I did want to share you know, tomorrow I'm going to have what um, many people that become my age, turn my age, uh, have as a colonoscopy. And I've asked all my friends who've done it how that is. And, um, you know, going to the doctor a few months ago, I'm like, that's the last thing I want to have happen. And some of you that don't know what that is, it's an uh, investigation of, of your colon. And... Um, I definitely didn't want to have that done, right? Um, I tell doctor anything but that. So, oh, well, there's a stool test you can do. Hopefully not too much uh, graphic image here. But um, anyways, that test came back positive, right? And so there's this chance that, hey, it's cancer, or hey, it's not, it's safe. But I don't know how that story is going to end. But I know that God is with me. So um, I pray that we would be encouraged today with that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are supernatural, that we have power we can, um, beyond circumstances that we don't know the results of, beyond cir circumstances that we understand in our earthly minds, uh, beyond circumstances that may be before us now or in the future. I pray that knowing that you're with us, uh, we could be reassured, we could have confidence that uh, regardless of what happens, um, you are worth uh, having and, and dying and living for. So thank you 
uh, for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.